We're going to be learning the Hamedrish Vahamasa on Parshas Vayishlach. This Parsha tells of the confrontation between Yaakov and Esav, which is obviously a model for the future of Jewish history. So there's a few strange comments in the Midrashim. The Gemara in Chagiga Hayamad Beis tells that when one of the rabbis who used to debate the Tztukim, the Jews who didn't accept the Torah, when he was passing, so the rabbis asked, what are we going to do now? They were worried. So one of the sources that he quotes is this. This story where Yaakov tells Esav, Nisa Elcha, we're going to travel and we'll meet you later. Now, the Medrash says about this, that when Yaakov says, I travel more slowly, it takes me longer, so you, Esav, go much more quickly, and then I'll catch up with you. So the Medrash interprets this, that Yaakov is going to go according to his own direction in the way that he wants. Now, the Medrash also points out that Yaakov says he's going to meet Esav at Seir, but we never find that Yaakov actually traveled to Seir. So the Medrash explains that Yaakov's going to travel there in the future, in Mashiach's times, as it says, that the Jews are going to go to the mountain to judge Esav. So that's when the final confrontation between Yaakov and Esav will happen. So what does all of this mean? Now, the Haftorah also comes from Ovadia chapter 1, and that's where the Pasuk of Moshiim appears. But the Gemara in Avodah and Davvav comments on one of the Psukim there that the Jews are going to be given to a lowly nation like the Romans that doesn't have their own script, their own language, their own writing, and they don't appoint a king who's the son of the previous king. So instead of having dynasties, it just keeps going to different kings who are unrelated to each other. So what does all of this mean? So to explain it, the Hamedrash Vahamasa explains a story in Shmuel Beis when Avner was a general who was opposing David, and then he made peace. But David's relative and his own general, Yoav, killed him. So David says, I can't deal with B'nai Tzeruya. I'm unable to deal with Yoav and his brothers. They're too tough. Yeshalem Hashem Let Hashem pay them back. And then later when he's dying, he tells Shlomo, his son, to deal with them. So Rabbi Chesko Lipschitz explains that the point of what David's saying in this Pasuk is to show that he is not responsible for killing Avner, who really tried to make peace with David. So David is afraid that there are people who understand that he didn't physically kill Avner. Obviously, everybody knows that Yoav physically killed him. But David's worried that there are people who think that Yoav must have known that David would want him to do so. Otherwise, he would not have killed Avner. So David wants to make it clear to everyone that he did not want this to be done at all. So he says that he's afraid of Yoav. Now, there are three ways that a person could be afraid of someone else. Either they could be afraid of them physically because they're worried that this person will hurt them or do something to them physically, which we see all the time, even amongst animals, they can be physically afraid. But then there's times when someone is less physically powerful and they're still fierce, they're able to make other people afraid of them, even though they don't actually have the physical strength. It's something about their personality or their fierceness that causes others to be afraid of them. Now, these people People can also create a following so they have a large group of people who follows them. And then when they pass, they can sometimes pass on the leadership of this group. So now the leader becomes a leader in the third way. He didn't amass it himself, but he inherited it. 
So the difference between these two forms of becoming a leader is that usually to create a following, a person needs to be older. They need to have some life experience and have time to create a following, whereas the leader who inherits it could obviously be young. So that explains what David is saying. He's trying to tell everyone that he did not want Avner killed. Yoav acted on his own, and David is too weak to be able to stand up to Yoav. So he proves it by saying, Anochi hayom rach, I'm young, so I'm not old enough to have built up a following. Umashuach melech, and I was appointed the king, so I did not inherit the kingdom, so I do not have an inherited base of power. So I don't have those two forms of power. Ubnet Suruya kashim mimeni. And the sons of Tsruya are stronger than me. So I'm not even more physically powerful than them. So I'm lacking all three forms of power that would allow me to control Yoav. And that's why he was able to go out on his own and do something that I did not want him to do. Now, says the Amedrash Ramasa, the same way that individuals become leaders in these three ways. So the same thing applies amongst nations. One nation could have a leader role either because it's more powerful or because it's older. So it has a longer standing tradition. So other nations look up to it or because it inherits the power if there's a continuing dynasty. So the king has a certain stability and other nations look up to him and are willing to follow his lead. So the same three forms of becoming an individual leader also make nations leaders in the world. So now if we apply this to the conflict between Yaakov and Esav, it will explain some of the earlier comments that we began with. Tosos and Avodah asks, what does it mean that the Romans don't have their own language and their own script when we see that they do? There is a language of Roman. So he explains that because there were so many nations before the Romans, there was the Dor HaFlaga, there was the Ishmael, Keturah, there were all these different nations and the Romans are the last great empire. So they just took the different languages from the empires that came before them and they put them together and that's where Roman comes from. It's like English developed out of German. So it's not an original language. So that's what the Gemara is saying that the Romans, unlike the earlier empires do not have an original language. They have a borrowed language. So we see from Tosvos that the beginning of the Roman Empire was later than these other earlier empires. So that's what the Navi is saying in the Haftorah that Katan Nesaticha Begoyim, that the Jews are going to be ruled over by the smallest of the nations, that they don't appoint a Melech ben Melech. They don't have a dynasty. They don't have their own language, meaning they're not an ancient empire. So they're missing two of the forms of power that generally make nations leaders if they're an old nation or if they have a dynasty. And the Romans don't have any of those. So what's the only way that the Romans could become powerful is through physical might. 
So that's what Hashem is saying. I'm going to give the Romans physical might in order that they can take over and subjugate the Jewish people. Because that's the only way that they're going to become leaders and take over the Jews and the rest of the world. But says the Hamedrish Vahamasa, this situation is not going to remain forever because there is going to have to be a change. And the reason for that, he says, is that the Jews have to go into exile. Now here he says something very interesting. We generally talk about the Jews going into exile as a result of the Jewish people's sins. Once the Jews sinned, so they were not worthy to be able to live in Israel and have a good peaceful life. So then they were exiled by the Babylonians or the Romans. Says the Hamedrish Vahamasa, there is another element to exile. And Rav Hirsch also talks about this. Exile is also a result of the non-Jewish people's sins. Meaning that the Jews have to go into exile in order to elevate and fix the nations that they're living amongst. One of the reasons the Jews in the olden days were able to live in Israel and not be spread out throughout the world is because the rest of the nations were in a good place. They were seeking out Hashem. They were lovers of wisdom and ethics and goodness. Like we see that the queen of Shva came to visit Shlomo HaMelech. And we see that there were other non-Jews who were involved with the Beis HaMikdash, with Judaism in Yerushalayim, and they would travel there in order to learn about Judaism. So that's one of the reasons the Jews were able to be living alone in the land of Israel, because the rest of the nations were seeking out the ways of the Torah and knowledge of Hashem. But once the rest of the nations stopped caring about Hashem, and they no longer cared about the study of Torah and the study of truth, So now the Jews had to go in exile for their sake in order to spread the knowledge of Hashem and the Torah throughout the whole world. So part of the reason the Jews went into exile was in a good way to spread the Torah to the rest of the world and not just keep it to themselves in Israel. So that's the point of all of Jewish history, all these travels throughout these exiles, that the Jews were spreading the knowledge of the Torah and the mission that they had to spread knowledge of God throughout the world. They were doing so through all of these events in Jewish history where they kept getting thrown out of this country and going to this country and traveling all over. It was all in order to bring it to the end where the whole world would know about Hashem and then the Jews could return to living in Israel. So this Parsha, Vayishlach, tells all about the different travails and it hints at the confrontations between Yaakov and Esav. That's what the Medrash says, that this Parsha can be read as a description of the future exile of the Jewish people. It finds all sorts of allusions in Parsha's Vayishlach to the events of the exiles. So this now explains the conversation that Yaakov and Esav have. Esav says, Nisav and let's travel and dwell together. So Esav is proposing that the Jews and Esav can all be one society and one community together. Says Yaakov, that is the ultimate goal, but I'm not there yet. We're not ready for that. You go first because it's not yet the time when we can all dwell together. 
I'm going to go more slowly. The Medrash explains that he said because of the work I have to do and because of the children that are with me. Meaning those are the two things that the Jewish people have to do in the meantime. They have a lot of work ahead of them spiritually to prepare the world for Mashiach. And they have all sorts of children and generations and students that they need to bring into the world and to teach them about the Torah. So there's still a lot left for me to do, says Yaakov, I'm going to go lahoni lahoni. I'm going to go in my own way, but eventually I am going to come to Seir. So I'm not rejecting your offer to dwell altogether, but now I still have a lot of work ahead of me, and then eventually I'm going to come, and that's going to be at the time of Mashiach, when the whole world is able to come together, because Yaakov's mission has been successful, and he's brought the whole world to the knowledge of Hashem. So this will explain the Gemara in Chagiga. Rabbi Yeshua ben Hananiah was very skilled at debating with people who rejected the Torah. He was very good at showing them the error of their ways and through the debate, he would bring them back to the Torah. But we know, says the Hamedrash Vahamasa, that in general, debates don't accomplish anything. When people have all these religious debates in the medieval period, they used to have all these debates between Jews and Christians. And even nowadays, when people debate religion, they're generally useless because nobody changes their mind from the debate. And the reason is very simple because people don't really care about the truth. If they cared about the truth, they would be willing to change their mind. But since nobody really cares about the truth, they're just debating for the sake of debating. So it doesn't accomplish anything. So that's what the rabbis were concerned with. They said to Rabbi Yeshua ben Hananya, what are we going to do now that we've lost our great debater? We don't have your skill in debating with people and convincing them of the Torah truth. So what are we going to do without you? So Rabbi Yoshua ben Hanani responds, you're making a mistake thinking that debating is the proper way to convince people of the truth of Torah. Because if we were living in a time when people cared about the truth, then maybe it would be helpful to debate with them. But since people don't care about the truth, there's no point in debating with them. And the reason I know that people don't care about the truth, says Rabbi Yoshua ben Hanania, is because we're still in exile. If people cared about the truth, then we could all move back to Israel and the non-Jews from the whole world would travel to Israel in order to learn about the truth. The reason we're still in exile is because people don't care about the truth and they won't travel to Israel. So that's why Hashem orchestrated it that we are now living in the rest of the world to teach them wherever they are. So by extension, it doesn't make sense to debate with them because the whole point is that they don't care enough about about the truth to listen to it. So that's why Rabbi Yeshua ben Hananiah quotes this Pasuk from Vayishlach because he's referencing Yaakov's point that the Jews still have a lot of work left to spread knowledge of Hashem and the Torah and that's why they're in exile. Once that knowledge is spread and the rest of the nations are interested in learning the truth, then the Jews can go back to living in Israel and people will travel to Israel in order to study about the Torah.
And that's what the Navi Zechariah also says is one of the main elements of the time of Mashiach, that the nations of the world are going to travel to Israel in order to study about the truth and knowledge of Hashem. So that's one of the key components that the Jews are trying to do right now, spread the knowledge of Hashem through exile so that they can eventually return back to Israel and the nations of the world will come visit them there and study about the Torah. And of course, much of that has been going on the last few decades where the Jews are returning to Israel and there are many non-Jews who do travel to Israel in order to study more about the Torah and learn about God. Now, the halacha discussion has to do with the obligation to visit one's Rebbe on Yantif. So he begins with two comments of Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi. The Gemara in Chulin quotes that Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi explained the Pasuk of Avek Ish Imo, a man struggled with Yaakov. So he explains that this comes from the word of hugging, that even though they were struggling, it's like they were hugging because when people struggle, they hold on to each other. So that's the root of this language. Now, the Medrash tells another story that Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi went to Rome and then when he came to Akko, Rabbi Hanina came out to visit him and Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi saw that Rabbi Hanina was limping. So he said, you're like your ancestor Yaakov. So the question is, what is the point of this Medrash? Why did Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi compare a limping Rabbi Hanina to Yaakov? And what does it have to do with Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi having gone to Rome? So the Medrash Vamasa explains this based on the halacha that one is obligated to greet their Rebbe. Now the Gemara tells a story where a student came to visit his Rebbe and the Rebbe said, oh, you shouldn't have bothered. So we see that the proper etiquette is that the student should visit the Rebbe, but the Rebbe should say to the student something polite like, oh, you shouldn't have bothered yourself to come out and visit me. So that was the proper decorum for these types of greetings. And Rabbi Hanina came out to visit Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, who was his Rebbe. So Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi was trying to return the decorum and say, you shouldn't have bothered yourself. And that's why he said, you're limping like Yaakov. Now, what does that mean? So he quotes the comment of the note of Yehuda. The question is that there is a halacha in the Gemara that one is obligated to go visit their Rebbe on Yantif. And the Rambam and the Rif record this halacha, but the Tur and the Shulchan Arach omit it. So the question is, why do the Torah and the Shulchan Arach omit it? So the Nota Behuda explains that in fact there is an obligation to visit a Rebbe every Shabbos and every Rosh Chodesh. So why does the Gemara only say that one has to visit their Rebbe on Yantif? The reason is because you can't honor your Rebbe more than you honor Hashem. For the same reason, you're only supposed to stand for your Rebbe in the morning and in the evening, not more than that, because that's when we honor Hashem. So we're not supposed to honor our human Rebbe more than we honor Hashem. So that's why there's no obligation to visit one's Rebbe more than three times a year on Yantif because there's no obligation to visit Hashem, the Beis HaMikdash, more than that. So we cannot obligate people to visit their Rebbe more than the three times a year when they visit Hashem. Says the Nota Behuda very brilliantly, that's why the Rambam and the Rif record this halacha, because there is such a halacha, but it only applies in the times of the Beis HaMikdash when people went to visit Hashem three times a year. After the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, so now we don't visit Hashem even once a year. So likewise, there's no longer an obligation to visit a Rebbe because even once a year would be more than we visit Hashem. So that's why the Tur and the Shulchan Arach, which only quote 
practical, relevant halachas nowadays, they omit this halacha. The Rambam and the Rif record halachas even if they don't apply nowadays. So that's why they do record this theoretical halacha. So that's the brilliant analysis of the Nod of Yehuda, why this halacha of visiting a Rebbe on Yantif does not apply nowadays. Now, the Amedrash Ramasek questions the Nod of Yehuda's insight. First of all, if this halacha does not apply post the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, then why does the Gemara quote it in Rosh Hashanah where it's talking about halachas that are relevant for Yantif? It should have quoted this halacha in Kiddushin where it's talking about all the halachas of honoring a Rebbe because this halacha doesn't really apply nowadays. Second, there is a story in Sukkah of two rabbis who went to visit their Rebbe and it was a mitzvah and those rabbis lived after the destruction of so why are they visiting their Rebbe according to the note of Yehuda? Third, we still have to understand because the original Pasuk that describes all of this does say Chodesh and Shabbos. So it sounds like there's an obligation to visit the Rebbe every week and every Rosh Chodesh. Now the Gemara says that the obligation is only three times a year. So the Shagasarye in the Turei Evan explains that the Pasuk should be read that Chodesh is Rosh Hashanah and Shabbos refers to Yantif. So it doesn't refer to every week and every Rosh Chodesh. It refers to the three Yamim Tovim as well as Rosh Hashanah. But even that is going to be problematic according to the note of Yehuda because that's talking about visiting the Rebbe four times a year. And according to the note of Yehuda, it can only be a maximum of three times a year. Fourth, he asks that the whole halacha is derived from the Isha Hashunamis, from a woman who was going to visit Elisha Hanavi. Now, according to the note of Yehuda, women are not obligated to visit the Beis HaMikdash even when it's around. So how could a woman be obligated at all to visit her Rebbe? The whole discussion should only be about men who visit the Beis HaMikdash three times a year, so they also have to visit their Rebbe. But a woman who does not visit the Beis HaMikdash at all should not have to visit her Rebbe at all. And the final question is that why would a woman be obligated to visit her Rebbe when they're not obligated in the mitzvah of Torah study? So says the Hamedrash Vahamasa, a very creative interpretation of this halacha. He argues that unlike the Nod of Yehuda and the general assumption, the reason why a student should visit their Rebbe on Yantif is not to honor the Rebbe. It's not about Kavod HaTorah. It's about Simchas Yom Tov. That is how a Jew celebrates and enjoys Yantif is by spending time with their Torah teacher. So it has nothing to do with how often a person honors Hashem with a visit, it has to do with how is someone supposed to enjoy Yantif, and that's why the Gemara in the section discussing enjoying Yantif quotes the Halacha that one should enjoy Yantif, as well as Rosh Hashanah according to the Turei Even, when there's also possibly a mitzvah to enjoy Yantif, so those Yantifs should be celebrated with their Rebbe. So it doesn't depend on when a person visits the Beis HaMikdash, it's a totally different basis for this Halacha. So that's also why women are obligated, even though they're not obligated in the mitzvah of Torah study, but there is a debate in the Gemara whether they're obligated in the mitzvah of enjoying of Simchas Yom Tov. So according to the view of Reb Zeira that they are, so that's why the Isha Shunamis had to go visit her Rebbe in order to have proper Simchas Yom Tov. So now the Hamedrash Vamasa very brilliantly answers why the Rambam and the Rif record this halacha that one has to visit their Rebbe. And 
and the Torah and the Shulchan Aruch don't. Because the Rambam and the Rif rule like Reb Zeira that a woman is obligated in Simchas Yom Tov. So that means the Isha Shunamis was going to visit Elisha in order to enjoy Yom Tov. So we see from there that everyone should visit their Rebbe on Yantif. The Tur and the Shulchan Aruch, on the other hand, they rule like Abaya that women are not obligated in Simchas Yom Tov. So according to them, the Isha Shunamis was not visiting Elisha because she was obligated. She just went for whatever reason. But the whole proof text of the Gemara that one has to visit their Rebbe on Yantif falls apart. So that's why they don't record the whole Halacha. So this is a totally different explanation for the debate between the Rambam and the Shulchan Arach, whether one has to visit their Rebbe on Yantif, unlike the note of Yehuda that it changed after the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed, the HaMedrash Vahamasa says that it hinges on the issue of whether women are obligated in Simchas Yom Tov or not. So those who hold that women are obligated would hold that there's a mitzvah for a student to visit their Rebbe, and those who hold that women are not obligated in Simchas Yom Tov hold that there is no mitzvah. But it doesn't change whether the Beis HaMikdash is around or not, so that answers the five questions that he asked before. This is why women are obligated to do it, because it has to do with Simchas Yom Tov. That's why the rabbis in Sukkot were doing it, even after the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, because again, there's still a mitzvah of Simchas Yom Tov. That's why the Isha Shunamis did it four times a year on the Shalosh Regalim and Rosh Hashanah, because then there's Simchas Yom Tov, and it doesn't matter that women are not obligated in the mitzvah of Aliyah Regel, even so they're obligated in this mitzvah. So this is a very nice analysis. Now, this is all regarding the mitzvah, the obligation to visit one's Rebbe on Yantif. But in general, there's no mitzvah, but the Magen Avram does write that it's a good thing to do, that one should go greet and visit their Rebbe. So there we could apply the idea of the note of Yehuda that anyone who doesn't have to greet Hashem does not have to greet their Rebbe. Now, the Mishnah at the beginning of Chagiga says that someone who's crippled, and according to the Gemara, it's even if only one leg is crippled, does not have to do the mitzvah of Aliyah Leregel. So says the Hamedrash Vahamasa, if we say that there's a connection between the cripple, the limping in the Torah, and the cripple dealt with in the Mishnah, so in the case of Yaakov, Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi is telling us that they were hugging, meaning Yaakov was only injured in one leg, not in the other one. So that's the parallel to someone who's only injured in one leg that according to the view in the Gemara, they do not have to do aliyah l'regel. So that explains what Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi was telling Rabbi Hanina when he saw Rabbi Hanina coming out to greet his Rebbe limping in one leg. So Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi said, oh, you're like Yaakov, that he too was only limping in one leg. And that's the equivalent of the person who does not have to do aliyah l'regel. So Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi was nicely telling Telling him, oh, you shouldn't have bothered to come visit me, which is the proper decorum for the Rebbe to respond to the student. So that was the message Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi was giving him that you would not have been obligated to go greet Hashem to do Aliyah Leregel, so you also shouldn't have felt obligated to come visit me. Now, he does note a very important distinction of the Chasim Sofer, which will undermine this explanation, but the Chasim Sofer does differentiate between a cripple in one leg versus is limping. So the basis of the Hamedrash V'Hamasa's creative interpretation is that limping is the equivalent of a real injury or a cripple to one leg. The Chasam Sofer, though, is pointing out that limping is less of an injury. So that would undermine this creative interpretation, but it's probably more solid halachically. But still, one can suggest a creative interpretation of these Midrashim.